How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Hey everybody, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We are live. It is uh, Super Bowl Sunday, February 2nd. Superb Owl Sunday. Superb yes. Owl, yeah, 2014. I'm Matt Delaney, this is Martin Wagner. Hey. Welcome. How are you? I am well. Good. Thank you. Good to hear you. You, were, you actually participated in a, in a panel with Beth this weekend, I think. I did, yeah, just, uh, the, was it, gosh, was it last night or night before? No, they're kind of leading together. It was Friday night. Right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> kind of a last minute uh, thing, but it was a part of the uh, FD, FTP, FTB. Conscience, the little online uh, uh, seminar, uh, I guess, uh, or, or fest, or whatever it is that we call convention it. Con- yeah, thing, convention yeah. that we have uh, online for FT bloggers. It was nice to be part of. Cool. Yeah. I um, have been, I don't know, doing a lot of nothing and, mm-hmm. and some other stuff. Uh, I'd mentioned before that I'm in between jobs and I've been submitting resumes, but I've also been working on other things. I have a number of uh, events coming up. Strangely, I did a, an interview on uh, KKMS, a Christian radio show in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And yeah, last time I was on, I think you'd mentioned that. Yeah. What's happened since then is this coming Friday, the 7th, uh, at 9 a.m., I'm going to be on a Christian radio station in the U.K. to have a discussion with some apologist. I don't even really know what about. I hope they're not expecting like a formal debate because I'm not doing any prep work, so you yeah. get what you pay for, <laughs> um, which is nothing in the case of all these. And it's, you know, you know, I won't go into that. But then that same day in the evening, like 5 o'clock drive time, mm-hmm. I'm going back on KKMS in Minneapolis-St. Paul to have a debate slash discussion with Ray Comfort. Oh, no, yeah. I, I had heard something to that effect. Yeah. That, you were gonna, that, that should be most enjoyable. So if you do a little, if you want to listen to it, um, I think they stream live over the internet. I know you can go to like kkms.com or .org or whatever the, their website is and you can yeah. you can check it out. I don't have the information for the UK Christian uh, radio site yet, but I'll try and post it on Twitter or Facebook when I find out for sure. Yeah. In addition, the following weekend, I'm doing three debates, three nights in a row, 
at a church in San Antonio. And those are also going to be live streams, so keep an eye on my Twitter and Facebook. Um, that's at Matt underscore Dillahunty, and I'll see if I can post information. So if anybody wants to watch, they can. So that is all just picking up lately. You seem to be getting a lot of requests. Well, the, the debate at the Church of San Antonio is something we actually worked out several months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm interested in doing it. It's close. It gives us a chance to go down and hang out in San Antonio. And it's not really being billed so much as a debate as they're having a four-day conference, mm-hmm. and they wanted to bring me in each night to talk about what they had talked about during the day. And so it's more of a discussion with me and this other individual. It's just bring what you know. You don't have to do a bunch of research and everything else. Okay. Um, so we'll see how it goes. It could be good. It could be horrible. I don't mm. know. Yeah, it's always always fun to have the conversations. Well, it will be interesting at the very least. Yeah, whether it's interesting in a good way or not a good way remains to be seen. But uh, it should always be. I like to try and learn something, no matter how bad something is. I mean, um, you know, as as some people know, I've been a magician my entire life, and uh, I'm probably unfairly harsh on magicians because I've seen so many really bad ones, but. Mm Uh, I was talking to a, a new friend of mine this weekend, and we both agreed that even watching the bad ones, you can learn something. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's I mean, one of the reasons why I support uh, comparative religions courses and studying the Bible, because yeah. <laughs> you can learn something no matter how bad it actually is. No, you, you, the bad ones are the ones that you really do learn from. I think so. Yeah. that's That may be the case. In my experience in my line of work, you know, it's, it's the worst shoots I've ever been on are the ones where you learn your lessons. The good ones are great. You skate through them, and you have a wonderful time. But you learn from the ones that are disasters. So this is a public access show out of Austin, Texas. We are live every Sunday from 4.30 to 5.30 Central, taking calls, having discussions. Um, I, I don't know what Oh, I, I, oh, oh I got a thing, yes. I have a little show and tell. Look what I brought, everyone, for everybody. You've got oh, to go. yes. Because apparently now this has been in the news yet again. Uh, the, uh, the Christian right has targeted the Girl Scouts of America for one of their angry, ragey boycotts, once oh, again. Oh, really? What'd they do now? Well, apparently, the accusation now is that they seem to think that the GSA have, have uh, endorsed, you know, that horrible, evil baby killer, Wendy Davis. Oh, wow. Which they have not actually done, as I understand it. But apparently somebody got, uh, you know, a, a bug up their little sphincter about that and spread the word. And, of course, Christian Wright, not exactly being big on checking their facts before going into outrage mode, have just jumped on this. And so now there are certain... Right-wing uh, Christian groups saying boycott Girl Scout cookies, don't buy them. They're pro-abortion, this, that, or the other thing. And so, uh, that's the only reason I need to uh, get behind the Girl Scouts. Pro-abortion, yeah. pro-lesbian, get those cookies just, out. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I brought some of these. To sh- here we go. These are the these are the tagalongs. These are. Um, I, I'm going to pass because sure? I well, have to actually speak on the air. I'm going to have a thing. I'm going to like leave this here. Somebody can come and get yeah, this is for everybody. Pass come them out to the studio yeah, audience. Sure. Who, uh, so today. remember, everybody, every time you eat a Girl Scout cookie, God has lesbian sex. And kills babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now, in, in all seriousness, um, <laughs> this is a call based show. We're going to go to calls here in, in just a second. Um, are you ready for fun? I'm ready for fun. Cool. We'll start off uh, with Jurist from Wisconsin. How are you? How you doing, Matt? Pretty good. Uh, I got a few questions, I guess. Uh, you remember the show you guys had a couple of weeks ago uh, about with the brain dead woman? Yes. Mm. Yeah, and they were saying dead is dead. Brain dead is dead. Yes. But she actually wasn't dead. Actually, she was dead. No, and, she's alive. And I think now she is, right? Yeah, you know they yeah. took her off the machine, right? Okay, well, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's about well, as dead as you get. She is, but at that time, 
when the whole debate was going on, uh, she actually wasn't dead. Well, was there were machines pumping uh, fluid through her body and keeping her organs alive. Well, they were they had her on a ventilator. Her heart just her heart just kept going. Sure. Mm-hmm. So they kept her on a ventilator, but if you would have cut her, she would have bled, and if you would have stitched her up, she would have healed. Well, you know what? Um, when somebody's dead, they still will bleed. Yeah, no. Yeah, actually, <laughs> cut their head off. There's a whole bunch of blood. Keeps right on coming well, out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, okay, it's, so. it's a case of, you know, is that any kind of a quality of life that you think is... Well, see, the child that was living within her, though. Which was um, non-viable, by the way. And also dead. What do you mean non-viable? We're all, we were all non-viable. No, I'm, so, I'm sorry. If I'm you were sorry. non-viable, you wouldn't have been born. But they're, they're, not all fetuses are actually viable. This one wasn't, and it's dead. Um, you, you, you seem to have this really kind of simplistic notion of, of what life is and what counts. But anyway, you know, you had emailed us with all sorts of points, and you have other questions over here. So go ahead and get to whatever you called about. Okay, uh, what is atheism based on? Um, well, it depends. It, not all not all atheists are atheists for the same reasons. Well, what, uh, well, some are. I, I, some I, I, are. I, can I finish my answer? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, some are atheists because of reason and skeptic, a critical evaluation of various God claims um, that they've determined have failed to meet their burden of proof. I'm sure there are plenty of atheists who are atheists for really bad reasons, um, reasons that aren't you know logically sound and aren't based on a a rational consideration of the claims. Um, but I don't see where that matters that much because it, the, the burden of proof is on the claim that there is a God. Well, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying whether or not uh, it's logical or not here. What I'm saying is, is your, is your worldview logical? Because you can't use reason and logic to prove reason and logic. Well, actually, you kind of can, um, but I understand the, the problem you see with it. I don't understand why you're raising this point, though. Well, because it's inherently circular. So you can't you can't say that your worldview is is logical. No, and reasonable. You're you're confusing the fact that you cannot demonstrate uh, the completeness of this. But as far as practical demonstrations of what's reasonable and logical, it's it's about internal consistency, and since it's all consistent with the universal experience, and because we can demonstrate the uh, absurdity of the logical absolutes not being true. Um, is, that, that's, is that absolutely that's, true? Yes. Well, then, then you just demonstrated there is the truth. Okay, did I... I don't know why you're objecting to that. Did I claim there wasn't? Yeah, you just said you you can you can logically demonstrate that the, that there's absurdities to absolute truth. Yes. No. 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 That, no I said true. to the logical absolutes. I none of this has anything to do with what you wrote, with what you asked. So I mean, can you get to whatever your question is? Okay. So now my next question is: uh, uh, You said that you're for the separation, the peaceful or good good separation of church and state. Yes, yeah, we support separation of church and state. Well, so why is it that, that your spirituality should be the only thing that the government is based on? We have no spirituality. Yes, and we, we No, we don't, and we're not expecting the government to be based on our spirituality at all. 
Well, I guess we have to understand what spirituality is. That'd be really good since nobody seems to have a good enough definition. And it doesn't even matter what you think what spirituality is. It has to do with the fact that the government, that what separation of church and state is about is, is the government not either advocating or, or sticking, sticking its nose in the religious affairs of citizens whatsoever, no matter what their beliefs or spirituality might happen to be. That, that, that's exactly, what, that's exactly what, uh, what the First Amendment is. The First Amendment yeah. is... It's yeah. not the separation of church and state. It's just that the government can't tell people how to practice their religion and the free exercise thereof. Yeah, and that's, that's separation and that's, of church and that's state. What, and a, that's why Jefferson referred to that as a, quote, wall of separation. That's correct. But that, right. had, that, that had nothing to do with individuals, let's say, uh, recriminalizing homosexuality. People would, you people would say that that's, that's something that you shouldn't be doing. Um well, what, because it's religious. I'm, things, I'm not. Right? Ne- I'm not necessarily. Well, it depends. If you are doing it on religious grounds, and so that would put the government in the, in the position of an endorsing a specifically religious view, then yes, we could uh, uh, object on church-state separation grounds. But I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case, and I don't know why you went to that particular example. Well, I'm just saying because yes. what, what what happens here is that what separation of church and state does is it, is it creates an environment where Christians don't have any say in their culture. That's absolutely, completely false. What it does is it makes sure that Christians and other people of other religion can't, by virtue of of establishing a majority, legislate their personal religious convictions onto others in violation of rights established by the Constitution. Well, the rights of the Constitution say that you have the right to free exercise of your religion. Yes. Do you not realize... That that is not an all-encompassing statement. That my, person A's exercise of their religious beliefs can come into conflict with person B's exercise of religious beliefs. And well, James Madison and James that. Madison pointed out that the only valid interference of government and religion was to settle disputes between religions over issues like that. No, see what you what you, what you're failing to realize is that it's a battle of ideas. Ideas are inherently spiritual. Uh, um, sorry, no. I don't. Can you define spiritual? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're yes, just you're throwing to, out a bunch of words, and you're I'm not define spiritual for you. Spiritual cool. is something is something that has no mass or energy. It, you, it can't be detected. Okay, so what's the difference between means. that and something that just doesn't even exist at all? Well, it, whether it exists, just because you can't test it. Physically tested doesn't mean it doesn't exist. What you're saying is, well, we're not saying well, he didn't say any. He didn't make any assertions that something doesn't. Ju- Juris, let me finish. On, he man. didn't make an assertion that something doesn't exist. He asked you, what's the difference between your definition of spiritual, because things that don't exist fit into your definition of spiritual as you presented it. And you gave your def- your, your definition of uh, spiritual is also entirely based on negative attributes. No, it's a thing that doesn't, it, that has no mass and it has no volume and it has no this and it has no that. Well, what I wanna, well, then what I would like to know is what is spiritual then? If I don't want to know what spiritual is not. Tell me what it is. What is it comprised of? And why is it meaningful? And it must be comprised of something meaningful if you think ideas originate there. So what I- is it? Ideas are not physical so they have to be spiritual well i don't know necessarily know that you are are correct um because it it depends it depends it depends it depends it depends if you let me finish on what you mean by ideas because i have an idea which means that i'm thinking and there's a discrete brain state that represents my brain 
actively processing that idea. What is the idea itself? Does it even exist as a thing? Yes. Ha- prove it. Well, how can I, I just had I think therefore I am. Yeah, that, that is I think that's not that, that is not a claim that the that's that the idea. idea exists. That's I think an that idea. no it's not. Look, you are so confused. I think therefore I am in no way demonstrates that an idea exists as something neither physical nor conceptual or whatever. Um, I think therefore I am is was developed by Descartes to demonstrate a solution to hard solipsism of the self. Because I think there must necessarily be some entity who is doing the thinking, even if it's being deceived, because there must be some subject that is being deceived. This has nothing to do with whether or not ideas exist as discrete entities unto themselves. There must be a brain in I think, therefore I am. And a brain creates ideas. Does it? Do rocks create ideas? Do they? You see, what 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 uh, atheism boils down to is that you can't know anything. That's not true. Atheism has nothing to do with whether or not you can know anything. Atheism is the position of not believing in a god. It has nothing to you, say, it, if you let me finish, or I swear I'm going to hang up on you. It has nothing to say about methods of epistemology. It may be derived from examining methods of epistemology, but atheism itself has no, no position on methods of epistemology. Wait, I thought it was based on logic and reason. No, because you don't listen. What I said is that some have reached this position as the result of exercising logic and reason, and some haven't. That That is... Do you not understand a causal chain? We begin with logic and reason, and some people have come to the conclusion that the God claims have not met their burden of proof. That does not mean that atheism is generating a position about epistemology. It means that an epistemological position has been used to generate this tentative conclusion about a specific claim. And how do you test that claim? Test what claim? The claim that logic and reason has proven that their claims are are bad. The, okay, so the claim, some God exists, is the claim that needs to be tested and demonstrated, and until it's done so, by default, it has not done so. Well, there's only two choices. Either God exists, or he doesn't. Correct. And if God doesn't exist, then logic and reason are impossible. How do you know that? How, how do you get there? Because, you, you, can't, because you can't use logic and reason to test and prove that logic. You have to, ha- you have to start from a... No, that's not an ad- that doesn't time. answer the question. What the, the question is, how does the absence of a god make the, the processes of logic and reason impossible for minds to engage in? You haven't answered that question. And in order to do so, first you have to demonstrate... You have to, you have to put this as a falsifiable situation, right? You have to, in a universe in which a god doesn't exist, what would we expect the conditions to be? Okay? You have to be able to speak on that meaningfully. You have to be able to give examples that can then be tested and, and demonstrated to be more likely to be factual than not. And so I mean, in a, in, a, in a universe without a god, you're basically saying that people couldn't think. Correct. Now, how, how have you arrived at that conclusion? Because in order to think, in order to reason, you have to, you can't, you can't, I can't say, I can't go along the line to say that I can reason and I, I understand something because I understand it. 
well, first off, why, well, why couldn't you exactly? I mean, how, how, does, how does the act of understanding make the process of understanding incomprehensible? I mean, we learn by doing things. We learn by interacting with our world. And as part, there's a whole field called epistemology, as Matt just pointed out, which is about understanding the processes by which we derive knowledge. There is, I mean, this, this is an actual field of study. Yes, I, so understanding the act of understanding and knowing, how it, well, again, what does, how is that contingent upon an invisible, all-powerful, all-powerful deity existing at all? That's, that's the claim you've made, that without this, this deity existing, those pro- the process... Or, or, to be very specific, the question that Martin God. asked, which I would really love an answer to, is... In a universe without a god, you have asserted that living, thinking beings couldn't actually think. And I want to know how you came to that conclusion. Yeah, how did you derive that conclusion? Because reason and logic are impossible in and of themselves. No. Well, well no, hang on. How, 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 what led you to that conclusion? What made you think that? How are reason and logic... Imp- First off, explain what you mean by that sentence. To validate my reason or logic. Why not? Because it's circular reasoning. Ah, only if you're talking about absolutes, there's a difference when you're talking about an internally consistent. So, like, for example, I can't tell you, we, can't, we cannot ever solve the problem of hard solipsism. It's possible that everything I experience could be an illusion, I could be a brain in Nevada, I could be stuck in the matrix. There is no solution to that currently, and there may never be. But that doesn't matter because I still experience a reality and I'm still forced by practical necessity to evaluate that reality by that reality's rules because to not do so results in your demise. Well, but the rules that you're, that you're uh, that's like the rules for, for understanding language. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't when, you, when you look and you see something, you don't actually see the, the matter in the process. You, you just see the visual input. I, I don't understand what that has to do with what we just said. Then your brain has to then process it so to, what? Un- to understand it. Yes, so what? And so without, without prior knowledge, which is what comes from God, you would have nothing. Well, let's stop, there's no, stop. There's no atheistic, there's no evolutionary idea or model that can, that can account for human consciousness. Okay, uh, uh, okay just, cool. uh, just until you stop just asserting as an axiom that this comes from God... We're not going to get anywhere because you still haven't proved that. Things that I think, first off, some things that have not been shown to exist cannot be asserted as the cause of things. So you have not even shown that this God exists, let alone be able to state as an axiom these processes, these intellect, these thought processes, the processes of reasoning and understanding originate in God or must necessarily originate in God. And not only that, but you just made a fallacious argument which under which serves as the foundation for everything you've said. Because you've said that out without a God there is no explanation for consciousness. Now, let's assume for a second that we don't currently have an explanation for consciousness. There are people who think that we do have some good understandings and explanations for consciousness, but let's assume that you're right. What you're doing there is making an argument from ignorance fallacy. The fact that we have not demonstrated or have not yet come up with a proper theory of mind that explains consciousness means that God is the only answer for this. And that is simply a fallacy, and it's the foundation of why you're so amazingly wrong right now. <laughs> well, that, that and, the, uh, and the problem of simply uh, putting in your premises a bunch of unsupported statements, yeah. like X comes from God. 
Uh, you, X you've can got only, nothing yeah. but assertions, and when pressed on it, your response is, well, you guys don't have a better explanation, which is a fallacy. Well, but you guys don't have any explanation. Goodbye. If I'm going to sit here and explain to you the fallacy in great detail, and you're just going to reassert what you've asserted before, mm-hmm. we're done. Sorry. Yeah. This whole point of the, uh, the argument from ignorance fallacy is even if we didn't have a better explanation, that doesn't make yours right by yeah. default. Even if we found out that evolution was entirely wrong, that we had gotten it all wrong, that doesn't say anything at all about creationism. Yeah. Even if we find out that the Big Bang cosmology model is wrong, that doesn't mean that God or universe creating pixies yeah. or whatever explanation you think is interesting uh, is actually the right one. The, the time to claim that an answer or an explanation is the right one or the one that is most likely right is when it has been supported by sufficient evidence and when it is reasonable and consistent within this. It doesn't matter about this, oh, you can't, you can't prove reason with reason. Well, actually, um, I'm not going to get into a big, long tirade on the laws of log- or the logical yeah. absolutes, but you can find me talking about them on previous shows, uh, and I'm not going to bore everybody else to tears with that. Yeah. So, yeah. And again, it's just so many of these conversations don't go anywhere because the Christian insists upon making these axiomatic statements that are things that have that they don't realize they have to prove those things. Those are the things they're seeking to prove. Well, this guy, yeah. this guy, by the way, emailed yeah. and said he it's, was going to call in, and he's been running around that's, that's, over the course of a couple of days putting comments all over YouTube videos. And it's very clear that he thinks, uh, much like uh, Shock of God, that he's got some kind of gotcha. And mm-hmm. cl- it's clear that he's been paying attention to the presuppositionalist knuckleheads like Saiten Bergenkate mm-hmm. and uh, Kent, uh, no, not Kent Hoven, um, Eric, Eric Hoven, Eric uh, Hoven. Uh, who, who supposedly wanted to debate me, but uh, evidently are just too doggone busy all the time to ever actually make it happen. Because um, I really, offered to take them both on, two on one, yeah. and mm-hmm. they declined. But, but I'd, I'd really like to know this. In a universe in which God doesn't exist, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you think... What do you think that universe would look like? What would be its laws? Uh, if, if, human, if, if thinking beings could not actually exist in a universe like that, explain why. Explain yeah. how you came to that conclusion. Yeah, not just what, what you think that universe would look like, but yeah. how it is that you derived that that is what that universe would look like. Yeah, because what can you possibly have studied? And it's the other thing, which we kind of let him get away with for a while, which was uh, he just keeps asserting God without defining God. Mm. Yeah. Um, there, there's no explanation for him. Well, God like, is this panacea which serves as an explanation for the things that he can't explain. Oh, I can't explain consciousness, therefore God. Oh, we can't have an internally or an externally uh, authorized reason, Mm -hmm. therefore God, Um, without realizing that it doesn't really matter. I mean, have you you never played a computer video game, Um, an adventure game uh, in a science fiction fantasy universe that has its own set of rules? You can still use reason within that scope, within the rules that are apparent and evident in that experience, in that universe, uh, to figure out how to operate. And also, you know, one of the things we talk about is we don't want to necessarily pretend that our own experience uh, has this primacy of authentication, this uh, oh, I experience it, therefore it's true. We need to be able to identify people who are having experiences which are inconsistent with reality in order to, we put delusional people away, right. we put them on medications, we attempt to help them. Um, now, jurists and the others would say that the only reason we can do this is because we have reason and we have God. And I'm just going to use Occam's razor and excise that completely unnecessary God thing until you actually come around and demonstrate that it's not only uh, necessary, but true. Mm-hmm. Because quite frankly, 
the way we go about determining whether or not a claim is reasonable, we don't rely just on ourselves. And science doesn't rely on any individual. It's through repeated tested testing, attempts at falsification, peer review, this process of trying to demonstrate that somebody else is false, or that, their, that their position is false. That's the guts behind it. It doesn't matter if you think we're living in the ultimate reality or not. Um, there's, there's no problem with reasoning with inside a model. And it's always a bit funny to be told that you've got a circular argument going uh, by somebody who is whose essential argument is logic and reason. Uh, God exists because logic and reason are impossible without God. You know, we, yeah. are, we are able to use our logic and reason to talk about God because logic and reason are impossible without God. And, and what's which is more, just for the, the definition pe- of a tautology, right? Just there. for the people who haven't been down this road fifty thousand times. Um, and who constantly ask, hey, you know, how do I respond to these presuppositionalists who are raising this stuff like this? This idea that God is required for reason and logic um, because in order to avoid a, a circular argument, uh, is itself false? Because if, if you listen to, to theologians, and the, the first question that you should ask and pop up is, can God change the laws of logic and reason? Can God violate those three foundational laws of identity? Can God make something itself and not itself at the same time, in Mm -hmm. the same way? And thinking theologians will respond, no. That these, and then they'll take the extra step of saying, oh, because that's part of God's nature. Ah, well, if it's part of God's nature, is there some reason that couldn't be part of the nature of the universe? Or even beyond the nature of truth statements entirely? You haven't demonstrated any sort of necessity towards God, and your God hasn't actually solved a problem. What you've done is just say, oh, we need something outside of this, and that's God. Yeah. But you don't. I, I really got into it on, on Twitter a few days back with somebody who was having this exact problem. They started bringing up the laws of logic and um, and whether or not, uh, you know, how, how do we derive those? And, uh, and then I was explaining that, look, these are descriptive and not proscriptive laws, which took them a very, you know, they had a great deal of difficulty uh, being willing to understand the difference between those things, and then even when he did understand the difference between the thing and claim to, he would still sort of make the same argument. You know, I, I would try to tell him, in a universe with no living beings, A would still equal A, and it would not equal not A. Yeah. That and you know, and he says, but without a mind, it's meaningless. I'm like, no. Well, without is, a mind, it may in fact be meaningless, but that but doesn't mean that it wouldn't that, be. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. If you remove right. every mind from the universe, yeah. a rock is still a rock. It's just that there's nobody to recognize that it's a rock. And, and if you took a new brain and put it into that universe as the sole one, mm-hmm. it could then eventually recognize these same truths. Yeah, there are, there are basic objective facts about reality that obtain without the need for minds to understand them. Yeah. But the the anyway. fact that something is pointless if there isn't a mind uh, doesn't mean it changes. Correct. Yeah. Because the, the, object, the, the, the recognition of, of absurdity or pointless is something that happens in the mind. Mm-hmm. Doesn't cha- you know, th- th- this kind of ties in with those ideas that we can change the universe by the way we think about things. That sort of... The secret. Uh, <laughs> what the bleep do we know and the secret yeah. and all that. Yeah. Law of attraction. Yeah. I, if I just wish hard enough for a rainbow that yeah. bunny who farts candy, I'll get one. Because the universe awesome. loves me. All right. Let's go to Lee in Los Angeles. Wait, How are thank you? you for waiting. No problem. Hi. Um, my, hello? hello? Hi, go ahead. Uh, my question is, if the brain knows something is wrong to do or something is wrong to want, and the body feels it wants it, 
is the brain contradicting or hypocrite in itself? Well, yes and no. Um, it's an interesting question. I, I think the mistake here is in viewing the brain as a single thing that is consistent. Um, so I need a more concrete example, but like my brain knows that sugar is bad for me because I'm diabetic, and uh-huh. yet um, I will get cravings for sugar at different times. Um, is it possible for my, and, and now the thing is, I think it's wrong to say that craving comes from my body and the knowledge comes from the brain. I think they're both coming from the same place, which is why I say yes, it, it may in fact be contradictory or hypocritical. Um, but I don't think, when, I, when I, we talk about the brain, it's not like there's one monolithic device in there that computes and comes up with a single answer. Um, I, our brains just don't really work that way. And so because things are constantly changing, it's entirely possible for me to recognize that X is harmful and still want to do X. Um, we don't usually consider that a good thing. And we often treat people who take that to extremes. Uh, well, just okay. so, suffice it to say that the, the the human mind can sometimes be a very confusing and complex place. Yeah, it's, I, but I just want to make sure that you know when we're talking about this, we don't want we don't oversimplify. My brain knows X, but my body wants Y or wants X, whatever. Um, Does the brain um, send the signals to the body in order for it to feel that way? Yes. So if the brain knows that it's wrong, why is it sending the signals to the body to want it? That's a good question. And one of the reasons I pointed out that we don't want to look at the brain as this monolithic, homogenous thing, a single entity, um, there, there's a difference between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Um, mm-hmm. There's a difference in the way you think at different times. Why do we do things that we know are bad for us? <laughs> uh, we, we, we all do it, and some do it to, to a greater degree than others. I don't know that there's an easy answer to this, and I'm, I'm certainly not the person to ask when you talk about, you know, these subtleties about the brains. Yeah, because maybe I mean, we, we don't even have an answer yet. Yeah, because you know we're, neither of us are. We're not neurologists and we're not psychologists, and you know, but those oh, are being. No, that's fine. Yeah. I just wanted to know your opinion of it. Yeah, that I think the biggest thing to realize is that, like I've said a couple times now, your brain isn't just one thing. Um, it it does a lot of things and it does them in different ways, and it is far, far, far from infallible. It's mm-hmm. basically our brains, as, as wonderful and awesome as they are, um, are also really bad about some things. I mean, I, there's some really good programs. Uh, I've watched um, brain games and other things. Look at optical illusions. You know, your, your, your brain is getting information from your eyes, and your brain puts together a model based on all the information you have. And it turns out that model doesn't actually map to reality. Now, that would be a real problem if it weren't for the fact that we have the ability to investigate further, to investigate our internal model and make it more consistent with reality. The problem is we're often lazy and we don't bother doing that. Okay, so my next question is, does the brain put limitations to itself or does 
people put limitations to the brain. Do people put limitations to the brain? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, not quite sure what you mean by that. I mean, I mean the brain, the brain as far is... As knowing things and learning things. Well, I, I, quite, I, people quite often will, you know, choose to ignore or resist maybe cravings that they have, like Matt just talked about with, you know, liking sugar and, and yet not being able to have it because of being diabetic. Uh, he you know, said as he drank a Coke. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, you know, but we, so we do often, yes, we do that sort of thing. If something, many times just our brain is releasing chemicals, uh, you know, we'll, uh, that uh, we really enjoy, you know, dopamine, and, and we'll decide, oh, well, that's your brain telling you, oh, wow, I really like that thing that you just did. But at the same time, intellectually, you know, yeah, well, but, you know, that's just not really good for me. Well, she, she kind of so, shifted her point right yeah. here, which I, I kind of want to address, and that is that you seem to have this uh, mind-brain duality or brain-person duality because you asked, does the brain cause people to do things or do people cause the brain to do things? And I, I don't know that you can make that distinction because yeah. when we're talking about the active thinking agent, the, the agent being that thing that directs and moves, um, I don't know that you can distinguish the brain from that. I can't think of anything. Else. It's like my finger is not me. Um, if you remove my finger, I'm going to stay. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm still going to think and act and everything else. If you remove my brain, on the other hand, all the rest of this just becomes inanimate meat. Um, so uh -huh. it's not that my finger can influence me. It's always my brain influencing my brain. And even saying the phrase my brain is problematic because it raises these issues of duality. Because we say my brain, that's a possessive. And I tend to look at it as I am, for all intents and purposes, my brain. And if you, if we, if we had a, like a sci-fi way to completely replace everything else in my body except my brain, I would still be me. I would still be thinking and acting and, and moving, et cetera. If I get somebody else's kidney, I didn't become less me. Hmm. And so, it's not like the hands of Orlack, right? Yeah. <laughs> to get the and, and who knows? It may be possible then at some point in the future to replace the brain. Now, if you put somebody else's brain in my body right now, all of the available evidence shows that I would no longer be me uh, mm -hmm. because the me, the personality, the likes, the preferences, the way I think, the way I act, what I do, these are all things that are products of the brain. And so if you just stuck another person's brain in there with nothing else, uh, I would no longer be me. But if there was a sci-fi way to mm -hmm. download my brain into another brain, okay, and these actually these these questions have come up a lot. You know, a lot of atheists are enamored of this uh, philosophy called transhumanism, the idea that we could use technology to sort of enhance and boost ourselves as beings into the future and live forever. Yeah, and the one I, you know, one one thing that uh, a lot of them seem to be uh, enamored of is this idea of download cultures, where you are essentially kind of transferring or copying your mind into some vast kind of computer database to become you know, this post-human being uh, essentially living in a simulated environment, and then you need never die or, or what, whatever. And the whole idea there is suddenly giving rise to these arguments of, well, wait a minute, is that exactly you? Is that really you? Because if, you're, if, you're, if you do a perfect duplicate of your mind yeah. and, and store it on some vast, you know, you know, cosmic hard drive somewhere, 
You know, is that really? Have you really achieved immortality? Have you just, or have you just made a copy of yourself? My because wife is at home screaming and banging her eyeballs yeah. out because we're getting closer to the transporter argument about identity. Yeah, because you know, is, or is the you that is still you? You're still going to die, and all that's living on is a copy of you, and that's not you. So there's a lot of debate about this, and it's interesting. But you know, I, I don't really, I certainly don't feel equipped to. Uh, so I don't know kind if, of authoritative opinion. Yeah, I don't know if we have any better answer to anything yeah. you're asking about. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. Well, my last question is: Do you think everyone is born against their will? Born against their will. Um, I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that you could ever determine that, um, because yeah. I don't know that you could demonstrate that there is a will. Um, the, I, I would say uh, no, actually, uh, because. This idea of um, this idea of will isn't just simply desire. It's not simply instinct. It is intrinsic. Well, it is. It is implicitly tied to this idea of conscious awareness of a concept. And uh, I don't think that anybody who's ever been born came preloaded with the concept of being born. And yeah. so I don't know that there. I, I can't say that there's any will there to violate. I, I, sir, I have. Yeah. I have no memory of you know wanting either to be born or not to be born. And I, before I, I was born, um, yeah. yeah, there was no me. Yeah, exactly. And when you get older, you know that you exist and and everything around you. Yeah, and, and we've some, done it. To pretty some well. people, it's present, and to some, it's not. And you know. Yeah, this, we've done some pretty good research and, and determined, and I don't know offhand, but we've termed, determined roughly the ages at which children begin to understand that the other sacks that are walking around are actually other thinking agents. And it's this, this um, the intentional stance, I think, is what Dennis referred to it, when you're recognizing that there's another brain in there. It's, it, it eventually goes into um, like game theory strategies mm-hmm. about if I do this, this person will do this. And prior to a, a certain age, um, that kind of thinking just doesn't exist. Right. Um, everybody knows what you know. And so they've done experiments where, like, um, put doll A over here and doll B over here, remove doll A from the room, doll B gets put in, or put something into a box, they bring doll A back and say, does doll A know that the thing is in the box? And children at a younger age say yes, because the assumption is that's just the truth. I mean, I know this. This doll knows this. The fact that this other doll was out of the room doesn't affect their ability to know things. It's it's a lot more complicated than that, and I'm not remotely doing it justice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we've done some good work in, in well, determining just, when that happens. Give a simpler example. I, I've been told many times by my mother about how when I was a little infant, maybe just you know less than maybe about a year, right around that age, and there was like a like full length mirror in my bedroom, mm-hmm. and I would just spend hours talking to the little boy in the mirror. Right. That explains so much. Yes, I know. And I, and I still haven't somehow gotten over that. I don't know another why. example. <laughs> another example. You play hide-and-go-seek with little kids, huh. and um, they'll hide, like, behind the slats of a chair, and as long as they can't see you, they don't think you can see them. That that ties into it as well. Okay. Um, all right. All right. Uh-huh. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> Right, thank, thank you for calling. Have a no happy problem. Sunday. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. All right. Oh, we used to get up to all kinds of mischief. Yeah. I mean, my little mirror twin. You and your mirror twin. Mm-hmm. Through a mirror. Oh, yeah. Through the evil Martin. Did he always have like a goatee? Uh, well, well, no. No, I told him to get rid of that. It was too much of a giveaway. You know. 
You're a baby, dude. Get rid of the goatee. Oops. People will know. I can't get line four to actually come up. Who knows? I can't get can't any. Go. Hello? Go. What? Wait. There we go. Dude, line four, Jose in Spain. How are you? Hello. How you doing, Matt? Pretty good. First, I would like to congratulate you for your program. It's incredible, and I hope we wish we had more programs than yours. Oh, thanks so much. Thank and I'm you. glad to hear that there are people in Spain watching the show. Oh, I've seen all over the world, I believe. <laughs> I have two questions, Matt. Uh, what's your position about scientific research on anti-aging? I'm in, in favor. To I'm in human. Yeah, I'm in favor of more research. I don't know how productive or whether whether we're going to come up with solutions. And Martin touched on this a minute ago when he was talking about transhumanism. Right, yeah. um, right now, we don't have any, you know, really strong, solid solutions. We have yeah. ideas, and by all means, keep researching it. Who who wouldn't want to live as long as they reasonably could, you know, barring health issues and such. I think probably the more realistic goal for that sort of research is not, I mean, you know, we're never going to get to be little immortals, I don't think. Well, I mean, okay, never say never, but still, I think the likelihood of that is slim. What I think is probably more realistic goal to pursue in anti-aging research is simply to minimize the problems having to do with senescence, which is, you know, all of the the breakdown of the body in the aging process. Um, so, you know, if we could have a future in which, you know, 85-year-olds were, you know, f- physically, uh, you know, the way 40-year-olds are today, um, then that would be, you know, a real goal. It's not that you're never going to, you know, die, but it's simply that you're going to age in a much healthier way, and your quality of life as you get older will will be higher than... I mean, it's already kind of the case now, right? Yeah, I mean, we have extended life, you know, we've greatly extended human life expectancy and we've greatly extended the possibility of human, uh, our, our, you know, our healthy, what I, I meant to say, uh, human life expectancy well into, you know, the 70s, 80s and beyond um, just through basic medicine. So any, any further we can take that research into just improving the quality of life is a good thing. I will say, though, that the, the actual <clears throat> anti-aging uh, research um, I, I'm more interested in continuing the medical research that is already extinct, mm-hmm. uh, extended human life uh, because what I find is in, in some cases, some people who are putting forth these ideas about anti-aging seem to think that they can find something almost magical to slow, dramatically slow or stop the aging process. And I don't know that the process of aging is anything that could remotely be stopped, you know, through a, or, or dramatically slowed through a process like that. It, it reads a lot like science fiction, like a misunderstanding of, you know, it's it's like trying to search for the solution to entropy. And I mean, you're basically you're trying to claim that you're going to overthrow the universe. Now, I'm hopeful that the research in this area will produce something beneficial somewhere, even if it's not necessarily directly tied to aging. I mean, aging almost seems like this, uh, you know, MacGuffin that's leading them towards um, (laughs) new advances in medicine that can extend our lives. Well, there is a project now from Google. Yeah, Yeah, there's a project from Google called Calico that they're investing a lot of money on uh, anti-aging research, and that would be interesting to see what they get done there. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the project, so. Yeah, I'm not. No. Just check it up, and that's interesting. 
A second okay. question, Matt, uh, what's your position on teaching critical thinking at elementary schools? Is that done in the U.S. or that's something you may be working on trying to make that happen in the U.S., teaching yeah. critical thinking? Technically speaking, I don't think it's actually being done in public schools. I do hear a lot of um, talk about critical thinking from people who demonstrate that they don't understand what critical thinking is. They tend to, they've almost co-opted critical thinking and twisted it and perverted it to be, um, we're going to inject our alternate quote theory um, as a way of critically examining the scientific status quo. But as far as actual critical thinking, the the application of skepticism to evaluate ideas and make sure that we believe uh, as many true things and as few false things as possible for the best reasons. I don't know that that's being taught in public schools, but it most absolutely should be. I mean, we should, I, I've always said that we should be spending more time teaching uh, people how to think than what to think, and uh, I think we've failed there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not doing a very good job of teaching that right now. Um, I'm reading up yeah. on Calico. It's uh, yeah, and it sounds like uh, this Calico sounds very much like the sort of um, you know age research that I was talking about earlier. It's designed to just improve the quality of life uh, among aging people and to you know reduce diseases and all the all the negative effects of aging. So right here, uh, Larry Page says of Google says illness and aging affect all our families. With some longer term moonshot thinking around healthcare and biotechnology, I believe it can improve millions of lives. Uh, so yeah, that sounds like uh, you know what I was saying would be the bright approach to anti-aging research, just um, improving the quality of life so that there are just less damaging and negative effects that people suffer simply by virtue of the natural aging process. So, oh, so I'll keep up with it. Sounds interesting. Yeah, hey. it's interesting. I'll be following up on that also. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Jose. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Got uh, Mark in Hazel Park, Michigan. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Pretty well. I'm fine. Thanks. Thank you. Hello. Uh, I am an atheist, and I have a debate with a fun. I, I, I have debates with a fundamentalist Christian friend of mine. We didn't become friends because of religion, fortunately. Um, and he basically likes to bring up this 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 thing that I don't know how to respond to this. Um, he keeps bringing up that atheism is a religion, but Christianity isn't because Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, so it's not a religion. But atheism is absolutely is a religion because of the idea that it uh, it's a worldview and all these other things that he brings up. How do you... Sure. Uh, several responses. Yeah, uh, the first thing that pops in my head is, what difference does it make? Right now you're arguing over labels as to what counts as a religion and what doesn't, and I really don't care because my concern is whether or not it's true. Number two, atheism isn't a worldview. It doesn't make any pronouncements, doesn't have any dogma or tenets, doesn't tell you anything about anything other than you have a position that the God claim has not met its burden of proof. But the big thing about Christianity being a relationship, um, if I'm in a relationship with somebody, I can demonstrate it to other people. Christianity is like the relationship where you've got a girlfriend who goes to another school and nobody knows her. Um, yeah. And I find that who, to yeah. just be silly. Yeah, who's that football player with the fake girlfriend who had the man, what was the guy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 he had the, you know, uh, 
he was sort of duped into this. The, the thing situation. was, though, yeah. he actually had a relationship with somebody. Yeah. Uh, so it may, you know, at least that's that's stronger than Christianity because he had a relationship with somebody <laughs> who was least, pretending yeah. to be somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> so even Manny Teo has. And, got and one you know, up not only do they do they do this relationship thing, but uh, Bill O'Reilly tried to say it wasn't a religion but a philosophy. Uh, you know, you can always shut those people up. Um, you know, Mark, whenever they say that, simply by saying, oh, Christianity's not a religion, well, then I'm sure you won't mind if we start taxing the churches today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and that usually kind of, they'll backpedal really quickly on that one. I, you know, this, yeah. this and idea. When I actually did bring up, and really quickly, when I did bring up taxing the churches, all he could bring up was what his church has done for him. He couldn't give me examples of what he did for, in general, people. He gave, he gave you know, a couple examples of things that only apply to him personally, like they, they helped me with this and they helped me with that. And, um, and my examples were Scientology. Hey, do you think Scientology should, uh, should be tax-free? Well, and I was trying to make it neutral, and I think he did everything but make it neutral. Mm-hmm. So on the, on the tax-free front, um, I, I think religions should not get an automatic tax exemption. None of them. We should tax the hell out of them. Uh, but... I'm fine with religious organizations having um, daughter organizations that actually are tax-free because there are a lot of religious groups who do great work for the communities in feeding the poor and supplying you know, money and resources to hospitals and universities. And the thing is, all I'm saying is those efforts need to be kept separate. Those secular efforts that are about helping and improving the secular world and the secular community um, are things that may be deserving of a tax relief, and therefore they should have to file and make a demonstration that they're actually doing something in public book in public good, and open their books. And the religious aspects should not be tax free at all. And that way they can keep their books closed. But right now they try to they get the tax exemption, and they don't have to open their books to anybody. They don't have to mm-hmm. you know demonstrate that they're doing anything in the public good, and they've got other tax problems like the um, the. Uh, Parsonage exemption, which actually mm-hmm. is being fought, or yeah, well, because uh, because you had organizations like Trinity Broadcasting using that to buy, you know, multiple mansions, and I think know. I remember seeing a ruling about that recently. Yeah, that that's, uh, was a, kind yeah. of shot down the parsonage exemption, but it's being challenged. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. tax them. Let them let them file for and demonstrate a worthiness to be tax free, um, and keep their secular efforts that are are. Uh, allowed to have a tax exempt status separate from the religious ones because they shouldn't be uh, able to take in a million dollars from people who are sitting in the pews and use all that to broadcast their television show which is all about preaching to try to get more people to give them more money yeah yeah and to be fair there are actually like uh, christian watchdog organizations who are uh, Mm -hmm. keeping an eye on some of these like prosperity gospel kind of guys who are just raking in the dough and and uh, living in the you know the life of Riley and having private jet planes and everything like that. They're really keeping an eye on you know the Crouches and the Rod Parsleys of the world and you know try, sometimes you know reporting these guys to the IRS and so you know it's known to be a, a real problem there. But anyway, that's kind of a digression from the main question. Yeah. Though, but yeah. So fun to so talk you about. You guys, though. you guys have a great day. Thank you. I love your show. I watch it. And as I said last time, this was the last thing I say, is I was an atheist before I watched your show, but I was not a skeptic. Awesome. Now oh. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. All right, okay, then. Bye. Thank you. Right. You have time for another? Yeah, we got a little bit of time left. Cool. Uh, Daniel in Pensacola, how are you? Hey, I'm practically perfect. How about you? 
I'm nowhere near perfect, so yes. you're, <laughs> so you're I, I'll let you talk now. Go ahead. <laughs> I've been, uh, as you should say, religiously watching for a while now, going through the archives, maybe even two a day. Mm. And I've, I've realized that in different contexts, you all use belief, knowledge, and confidence in a lot of different ways. And between just talking between yourselves, talking to others, and when you're really trying to make a point, and I'm, a lot of friends have brought this to me, and they also kind of the consistency of understanding your viewpoints on certain things when you use the words confidence, belief, and knowledge. Yeah, so one of the things is that, you know, as you watch the show over a period of years, you're going to hear from a lot of different people. We don't always mean the same thing or use the words in the same way, and you're also going to see um, some changes in how people think at different times. Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. I, there, there's a, there's the strict philosophical definitions, which I, I tend to kind of avoid because I don't think they fit what, or they don't think they always fit what people mean conversationally. Um, so there's kind of the colloquial views. For me, uh, belief is the position of accepting something as true or likely true. You are, right. you are convinced that this is true or likely true to some degree of certainty. Uh, well, I don't, oh, I don't understand the difference between that and confidence, then. Well, confidence is an expression of how certain you are about something or how uncertain you are about something. Oh, like being confident in a belief. Yeah, you're, you're confident about a belief. You believe yeah. things to different degrees of certainty or different levels of confidence, and so I can kind of believe this. I can really strongly believe this. I can be virtually certain in my belief about this. Um, those are expressions of, of levels of confidence. And, of course, your level of confidence in what you believe you know, does not have a lot of really any bearing on whether or not the thing you believe is true. People, people can believe things with a great deal of conviction uh, for good reasons, right. and they can and believe them for very bad reasons. Um, well, I don't, but I don't see how someone can kind of believe something. I think it, it seems like it's clear cut. Either you believe it or you don't. Okay, well, I, I, here's an easy example. It had a uh, 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 supposedly fair coin toss that for years everybody just assumed was exactly 50-50. Actually, with, for example, an American quarter, has a slight bias towards heads. Um, this is not a, a great example because if you flip a coin and you ask me... Do you believe it's going to come up heads or tails? Um, I could tell you that based on my information, uh, I believe that it's going to come up heads more often. Oh, I'll definitely keep that in mind. <laughs> but for an individual coin toss, I can also tell you that I don't believe it's exactly 50-50. So if you made me like bet, I would have a slight leaning towards uh, heads. But as far as right. barely believing something... Um, so there's this, there's this discrete thing where uh, I don't care what your, your lack of confidence is. At some point, you become convinced, and you're aware of being convinced, and you express this. And so there are some things that I am convinced of to varying degrees. Like, for example, I'm more convinced that I'm married to Beth than I am that the Big Bang model is actually accurate. And I didn't notice, but they just put up the credits. So i got to cut the show off now. I apologize. Thanks for oh. calling. And we'll see you all next week. Yeah. Bye-bye. From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed. 
How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.